beat me to the punch this morning, but it is good to have the Mitchells back. And as uh, Jacob and I have been talking about this uh, particular subject for some time, it is finally here. Uh, there will be no uh, additional uh, lesson brought forth. I want to talk tonight about the sanctity of life. This started, honestly, as a lesson to look at abortion in our society. And as I have spent the last couple months looking into this, and as you can see the foreshadowing on the screen, there's going to be more that we need to evaluate and understand about our culture and society's view on the sanctity of life. We live in a country where not just the unborn, but even the elderly are being attacked without this principle being in mind. And so we're going to first set up the principle. We're going to look at what is before us and godly uh, uh, doctrinal truths about the sanctity of life, and then we are going to look at some of the situations that we face in our society, and subsequently how we are to look at that as Christians with God's view guiding us forward. God's view of taking of life is, as we all know, very serious. In Exodus, as we studied a few weeks ago, in chapter 20 and verse 13, we see the command that you shall not murder. We further go to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, and we read, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to Him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. We continue in verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. So not only are we forbidden to murder, we also are forbidden to take innocent blood, another way of saying the exact same thing, we are not to murder. And this continues over into the New Testament. We see in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murders, goes on to say, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Murders are listed with the works of the flesh in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 5, what we read here. And we're discussing something when we talk about the taking of life. It has serious consequences as we read in the very last part of Galatians 5 and 21. Those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So now let's look and evaluate when does human life begin? To start, let's turn 
over to Psalms chapter 139. Psalms chapter 139, starting in verse 13. Reread, for you were formed, sorry, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. The Bible clearly tells us, both in what our scripture reading was, and in Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 2.4, the intro and the conclusion of the creation week, that God is the creator of all things. Genesis 1.1 states, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And as we get to the end of creation week, seven literal 24-hour days, we read in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4, There are the generations of the heavens and in the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When we look back at Psalms 139, we notice this word covered me. When we go to a lexicon, we will see that this Hebrew word, yari, means, I'm sorry, sakak, means thou didst weave me together in my mother's womb. Some of our young ladies like to crochet. Think of it as God is creating in the womb mankind. Furthermore, the psalmist used two additional words that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Hebrew word for fearfully here is yari, and it means in this instance to cause astonishment and awe. The way God has formed each and every one is awe-inspiring. Wonderfully, the Hebrew word is pela. And that means to describe something that is distinguished or set apart. That is, God created us to be special among all other things He has made. That makes sense. We see that in Genesis, sorry, 1, Genesis 1, 27. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created he them. And for what purpose have we been weaved in the womb and fearfully and wonderfully made? Well, we can go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 to 14 to know what the whole duty of mankind is. And let's look, starting in verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Another passage we could go to to understand when human life begins is Isaiah chapter 49. We're going to read verses 1 and 5. Isaiah 49, 1 and 5. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix, or the womb of my mother. He has made mention of my name. 
Drop down to verse 5. And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. We see here the word formed again. This is the same Hebrew word we just mentioned. Um, I'm sorry, no, this is uh, the Hebrew word yesar, which means to form or to fashion, more specifically, as a potter. And we would see that reference in the New Testament. Furthermore, we see the same word used in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 is the description of God forming Adam. Let's look and see what that says. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So the same word formed that we look at and clearly understand when we look at Adam's creation is the same word formed that describes God's weaving and developing mankind in the womb. There is no distinguishment of mankind in the womb and Adam who never experienced the womb. Furthermore, we can see this point of when does human life begin in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Here we see, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. The same word form that we see in Isaiah 49, that we saw in Genesis 2, is the same word described here in Jeremiah 1.5, that God formed Jeremiah in the womb, just like he forms us, each of us, in the womb. And Jeremiah says he was sanctified, set apart. Sounds very similar to what the word wonderfully made, what that Hebrew word means. We are set apart from everything else. God and the sanctity of life is an important and serious topic with serious consequences. We see this theme already starting. God doesn't see the stage of life between conception and birth any, as, a, as a clump of cells, as non-human life, as just tissue that could be discarded with no care or no thought. No, He sanctified man while he was still in the womb. The child in the womb is precious. Let's look at Job chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Job chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. For now I have would, would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or the princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver, or why was I not hidden like a stillborn 
child, like infants who never saw the light. Notice the verbiage here of Job. A stillborn child, an infant who never saw the light, as a child who died in their mother's womb. God nor Job referred to the stillborn child as a clump of cells or another term meant to, in our culture, to dehumanize that what is being birthed between conception and the actual physical birth is nothing important. They use terms and throw terms around like fetus to dehumanize what is happening. No, that is a child being formed that God is breathing life into, is weaving together, is fearfully and wonderfully made. We must be careful how we choose our words. I've heard Christians refer to the baby in the womb as an it. We need to be cautious. God assigns that child with a name as baby, child, and various others that we're going to see here shortly. We need to also have the same respect for a human life in the womb. Now let's go over to Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at the Bible's description, God's view of the unborn. And while we commonly use this passage to look at when does human life begin, I think we can start to gain and understand something even bigger starting here in Luke chapter 1 and starting in verse 41 through 44. Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 41, and we're going to expand upon this idea that we just saw in Job chapter 3. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Verse 44, For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. In this passage, we have two words highlighted, babe. The Greek word here is brephos, and it means to signify, in this case, an unborn child, but it can also be a newborn child, an infant, or still older. Let's look at a few examples of this. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 12. Luke chapter 2 and verse 12. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. So in Luke chapter 1 verses 41 and 44 there's no, there's no second guessing. Brethos was referring to a child that hadn't yet been born, was still in the womb of his mother. In Luke chapter 2, verse 12, there's no question that the same exact word refers to a child who had been born. We know this to be Jesus lying in a manger. 
Let's continue. Luke chapter 18 and verse 15. Luke chapter 18 and 15, we read, Then they also brought infants to him, that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. We all know the passage very well. But these infants described here is also the Greek word brethos and means a child that is older than the newborn babe that we saw referenced of Jesus in a manger. But it doesn't stop there. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15, And from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This word, brethos, occurs again and is translated for us childhood. This is at clearly a later stage than even the previous passage was in Luke chapter 18 because now this child, brephos, is able to understand to some degree what is being said to him of the Holy Scriptures. So the same word in all of these instances are used to describe a child in the womb, a child that was just born, an infant, and even one who can know the Holy Scriptures. That is important to recognize that God chose this word to describe all this stage of life. So we do not need to go along in any way, shape, or form with our culture to dehumanize or to downplay what is happening when a child is in the stage of between conception and birth. So with this foundation, a foundation that is looking at God's view of taking life, when does human life begin, God's view of the unborn, now let's start looking at how to apply it to a few issues that face us today. The first being abortion. Earlier this year, June 24, 2022, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Raid. And to many um, people's happiness and expression thereof, there has been less talk of abortion following. But we need to be clear that Roe versus Wade overturning that did not make abortions illegal throughout the United States of America. It didn't dress what we're talking about here tonight. It simply said in that decision that each individual state across this country can make up the rules that they so see fit to govern the action of abortion. So we still need to be armed with these passages that we have just looked to talk to people and spread the message that God views human life starting from conception through the entire pregnancy process until the child becomes birth. And you have heard, and I'm not going to go through the gory details of how some people even justify that a baby that has been born and is breathing on its own accord to some is not even considered life. We do not need to tolerate that. We do not need to go along with that. And if others 
are speaking their minds, we need to be willing to speak up the truth that God has provided. Between 1973 and 2022, there are a lot of guesses at how many abortions have occurred, and they are still occurring, that approximately 63.5 million babies have been aborted. That is astonishing. Especially when we consider what God's view is of human life in the womb. But if we were to compare that to just a few numbers to help us understand the magnitude of what we're looking at, I found this chart. I, I cannot validate the authenticity of it, uh, although the numbers seem to be referred to in more than a few cases. But this chart is trying to describe how many U.S. military casualties of war have occurred in our nation's history. If you were to add all these numbers together that are shown here on the chart of all the different wars and conflicts that were recorded here, that number would be somewhere around the number of 1.3 million soldiers. That is a lot. But 63.5 million aborted children since 1973 is a lot more. Oftentimes when this topic comes up, people will reference the Holocaust. During the Holocaust that spanned somewhere between 1939 and 1945, it is estimated that approximately 6 million Jews were murdered. Furthermore, it is recently uh, a study back in 2005. I could not find a more recent study. It stated that abortion kills more black Americans than the seven leading causes of death combined, according to the CDC. We still have a problem in this country. And God has the answer to show all mankind that God, who creates all humans, forms each of us in the womb from conception. Let's look at Exodus. We studied this a couple of weeks ago. Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21 through 23 is going to help us reinforce that there is no misunderstanding in God's eyes that an unborn child carries the exact same value as a grown man. We talked about as God is setting up and propping up the physical nation of Israel to bring forth the three promises made to Abraham. That there was a consistent theme as we went through these laws given to the nation. And that was that the punishment was equivalent to the crime. And we saw how a lesser crime received a lesser punishment. But let's look and see if there's any inconsistency with what we have uncovered and talked about so forth this morning from scriptures. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, it says, If men fight and hurt a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, that means the baby does not die. He shall surely be punished according as a woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay the judges as the judges determine. But in verse 23, notice this. But if any harm follows, 
then you shall give life for life. Did God look at the human baby in the mother's womb any less significant than the man that caused the harm? No. The punishment equaled the crime. And we too, as followers of God, we should have the same attitude. Next is a topic of post-conception birth control. This, to be specific, is any method that acts on an already fertilized embryo, that is conception, is considered a post-conception form of birth control. This includes any method designed to interfere with the embryo's ability to implant in the womb. This is serious, as we've seen above, as God views human life starting at conception. A Christian must be careful. A Christian must be diligent to ensure that they do not in any way, shape, or form partake in anything that would cause an embryo to not implant. I would further suggest, based on the seriousness of all that we have read and seen, if there is any question on how something, some tool or some medication works, don't mess with it. If you don't know, don't touch it. As a Christian, the consequences that we have been studying here tonight are clear as they possibly can be that life is precious, even the life immediately after conception. And that gets us to another point. Frozen embryos. I'd present to you that this is a growing crisis in our country. In 2013, and I could not find a more recent study, they found and estimated that some one million frozen embryos had, um, are in storage. To co truly comprehend this one million number, I, I was looking at some more statistics. We discussed how many U.S. soldiers and casualties had occurred. But the atomic bomb had killed in Hiroshima approximately 100,000 people. We must consider the consequences of our choices. I came across on a website of a brother in Christ who was faced with this question. He actually received, he's a doctor, he's a PhD in the science field. And an elder reached out to him and proposed this question. I received a call from an elder. He was counseling with a couple who had found themselves in a situation around the frozen embryos. They had leftover embryos and had been paying an annual storage fee. But they had reached the point where they felt their family was complete and they were, they were tired of paying this fee. The elder was asking this individual if he thought it would be okay if the embryos were thawed out and discarded. As we've discussed already, God's view of killing life is not unquestionable. As Christians, we must seriously consider the consequences of the decisions we make and the choices that are before us. Lastly, 
I'd like to talk about elderly euthanasia. What is elderly euthanasia? It's called by several different names. It's called elderly euthanasia, physician assistant suicide, death with dignity, etc. This is about a person who is living. Some have a projected lifespan remaining. Others have been diagnosed as terminally ill. And instead of allowing a natural progression of an illness, the person decides that they want to die with dignity or on their own terms. There's been a massive effort in the news media to rebrand elderly euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide. Oftentimes you will see something along with dying or death with dignity. Notice the quote in the bottom right-hand corner. It says, Seven in ten Americans now support the right of people with a terminal illness to die on their own terms. I can't validate that statistic. That's um, deathwithdignity.org. I was curious, though, how widespread is this? I've heard of a state of Washington a few years back, so I did a little digging. And here's a state map of the various states that are somewhere in this process of considering or have passed legislation that is along this idea of death with dignity. There are eight states with a statute, a law, that allows this. Those are Colorado, New Jersey, District of Columbia, New Mexico, Hawaii, Oregon, Maine, and Washington. There are two states considering this amendment. Both did not pass this year, that being New York and Pennsylvania. Residents in Montana are fighting to revoke an end-of-life option uh, where a physician and, its pa and their patient can make this decision on their own. It is my understanding that in Washington State was the first one in the United States of America where this uh, death with dignity was first approved. It was uh, passed on November 4th, 2008, and it went into effect March, chapter, uh, sorry, March 5th, 2009. Per the, state, per the state's Department of Health website, we can see that roughly 2,240 people have chosen to take their lives over the last 11 years of record that, that I could find. Um, that was an annual report that was produced a few months ago. It further states um, that this act, from the website's uh, quote, says it's to allow terminally ill adults seeking to end their life to request lethal doses of medication from medical and uh, osteopathic physicians. These terminally ill patients must be Washington residents who have less than six months to live. However, the Netherlands upon further investigation, was the first country in the world to recognize uh, and legalize euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. It started in 1985 being accepted and was fully legalized in 2002. In 2019, it accounted for 4% of all deaths at over 6,300 people had chose this method. What is God's view? Let's go back to our scripture reading that we just read a few moments ago. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 24 through 26, sorry, through 28. God, 
who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. So they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of you own poets have said, for we are all his offspring. So when we look at this topic of elderly euthanasia, just like we've looked at the previous ones, we must accept that God is the creator and the giver of life. Furthermore, I would argue that while we do see a few wicked men committing suicide in the Bible, we find that even in extreme circumstances, that righteous men would not end their own lives. The righteous viewed that their life was something that should be, le that should be left to God to be the judge of. Let's look at just a couple quick examples. In Job chapter 3, verse 20 through 22. Job chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. Why is the light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul who long for death, but it does not come and search for it more than hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Job did not want his life to continue, but he never, ever, in all that he experienced, tried to take his own life. Furthermore, in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4, we read of another example, this one of Elijah. It says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah had given up also, but he asked God for death instead of taking his own life. We see in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 3. Jonah in chapter 4 verse 3 was angry that God had spared the Ninevites, but he asked God to take his life. He did not take matters into his own hand. In Jonah 4, 3, we read, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Lastly, let's look at Job. Let's go back to Job. And we saw in Job chapter 3 just a moment ago his, his view on life at this moment of the horrible pain, physical loss, um, health issues that were happening to himself that are unimaginable for any of, many of us here. This is a conversation that happens between Job and his wife in Job chapter 2. Verse 10, we read, But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So Job was certain death was better for him 
in just a few short verses after this passage. But in and amongst the pain and suffering that both he and his wife were going through, he reminds his wife that we must accept what God provides. Even if we go through a spell, a valley of adversity. I hope this lesson, looking at the sanctity of life, has been helpful for you. And understanding God's view of taking life. When does human life begin? In God's view of the unborn. I hope it helps us work through the challenges that face our culture and our society today. That of abortion, post-conception birth control, frozen embryos, and elderly euthanasia. As we started this sermon, I would like to conclude with the same passage to remind us that God values human life. Psalms chapter 139, verses 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me, weaved me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Praise God that He is mindful of us and has not only created all that we see to support our ability to live, but has weaved us together from conception in the womb of our mothers. We offer the invitation song for those that have sinned in a public fashion and need to make that right. We also offer the invitation for those that have heard the word of God, that have been convicted that they are lost and that they need to be baptized. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.